Hello, welcome to another episode of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Our special guest this week is David Spira. David, would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners and watchers? Hi, my name is David Spira. I am a user experience designer, a product designer, just general maker of things. My wife and I, for the last eight years, have run a website called roomescapeartist.com, where we have been reviewing escape rooms, tracking the industry growth, writing tips for creators, tips for players. We do all sorts of crazy projects related to this. We run a podcast, Reality Escape Pod. We have a convention, the Reality Escape Convention. Um, we run tours. We are just immersed in the world of immersive gaming. That is fabulous. I Maybe we can talk about escape rooms because it's a favorite of mine. In fact, I'd, my I'd nephew now runs one in um, Asturia, Oregon. It's his wow. little business. And um, I, uh, get, I try to do them whenever I can and not enough while traveling. I like to, to pick up that habit. But in any case, welcome, David. So what's one of your favorite tools? Okay, so first thing is a seemingly silly thing that has changed my life and everyone who visits my home ends up copying this. I, as I said, user experience designer, I look at everything as, do I like this feature? And if I like it, how do I get rid of the parts that I don't like? And cooking is a big part of that. Mm. We, My wife and I cook a lot and my wife does everything very quickly and I do things very slowly and methodically. And together we are generally effective. Okay. But I was finding that whenever we were cooking together, things were like falling down between the stove and the cabinets and it's a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. So I set out to find something that I could put to cover that gap. And I mm. found these silicone strips. Mm. Um, they are just flat silicone strips that have a about a centimeter tall um, uh, line coming up. Right, of silicone rib, coming rib. off. Rib. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and they just fit right over that gap. And then nothing falls through, which eliminates a whole area of cleaning and I am all about that. Right. Now, are these, this is like a long rubber uh, strip, kind of like um, weather stripping. Yep. And is, is it, is the piece that you're holding, was it made just for stove or is it general it, weather stripping this for your other uses? It was made for stove. I had made my own version of it just to kind of test the proof of concept. And then once I liked it, I started poking around and in the depths of Amazon found something that was actually made for just this purpose. Right. Um, I'm wondering if they make it in white. They make it in a few different colors. They make it in a few different lengths. And also because it's silicone, you can go and cut them and uh, make them the length that you need. Right, right, right. right. Yeah, so the tool here might be that if you have gaps in your appliances on your counter, yes. here is a way to it's, bridge that gap. It's a great way to bridge the gap. I Like I said, love removing cleaning tasks right. or simplifying right. them. And tied to that, I can't find these anymore, but I have, it looks like a large baking sheet. Uh-huh. Um, I, this is, and you can just use a baking sheet to accomplish this. But when we cook... We will go and put one of these on top of the side of the stove we're not using 
and the side of the, oh, I mean the cover of the other burners. Yep. And that way, if there's spatter or anything happening, uh, we just yeah. have to wipe down a smooth surface. We don't have right, to go right. and remove the grates and clean all the burners and everything. Okay. All right. That's, um, I get it. So you just flip over a large tray, large tray, put down, you know, you can uh-huh. put down aluminum foil or something like that, but mm. I wanted something reusable and durable that I just wouldn't have to think about and also wouldn't have to care about. And so I found this kind of aluminum tray thing to put on top. I've noticed in some of the current stove designs where they have induction electric uh, coils, it's a flat surface. It is flat, but I I got these back when we were living in an apartment and had that kind of surface just because those things I kept finding that when they would heat up, if anything was on it, even if I didn't realize it was there, they would, it would start to kind of melt and cake on. And I felt, so that was kind of where it even started. And it's sort of useful on both because it's nice to just have something you don't have to care about. Right. 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 Okay. Um, So, uh, so the, um, the gap strips, the gap yep. covers, the gap bridges uh, is is one, and then just covering um, your yes. burners with something that is handy and reusable. Yeah, got it. Okay, good choices. Thank so, you, David. What's the second uh, favorite tool of yours? Second favorite tool. So we're content producers. We have a Patreon. It's you know obligatory, and. Um, we, but uh, the thing that we do is largely about in-person experiences. And so we decided when we were creating the Patreon, we wanted to go and send a handwritten letter to our patrons and, and thank them. And we wanted to, you know, we're always kind of trying to find interesting and nice touches to add. And so we ended up going and having um, custom wax seals Whoa. made, sealing stamps. These things are, um, this is the, you can see the logo for our website and the logo for our convention. Um, This is what it looks like. Uh, uh, It's uh, with gold sealing a uh, envelope. Uh Uh We had these made, you can get them from a company called Nostalgic Impressions. It doesn't cost much at all to have them made. It looks like they just mill it out of a piece of brass. Uh, I imagine their operation is largely automated. And, um, but that doesn't solve the problem of sealing with wax is a pain in the butt. Um, (laughs) but there is another solve to that. And that's this stuff, which if you aren't watching their cylinders, they're what they are is they're glue sticks. They're hot glue sticks of, but instead of glue, they're wax and you load them up into just any cheap glue gun, hot glue gun. And, uh, just. Once it's preheated, you squeeze out a dollop, hit it with the uh, stamp, move on to the next one. It is a much faster, much more efficient way of using sealing wax. That's a great hack. So the things you showed first were little um, stamps. They were kind of the size of a rubber stamp, but at the end it was brass, um, which had the um, engraved, so to speak, or cast logo that you would then you know imprint onto um the hot wax which in this case is almost like hot glue um and uh, that's a great hack the um i i wonder whether you could get away with actually 3d printing 
um, uh, that you know, 3D printing does melt, but it melts at a probably much higher temperature than the wax does. And so you might be able to actually make a little stamp 3D printed. You might. I What I can tell you from wax sealing often is that the thing starts to heat up over time. It, 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 the, the brass is good of- because it... Yeah, if you're using it often, the brass is nice because it sort of disperses the heat. Right, right. Uh, but yeah, I, I'm sure you can you can make a stamp out of all sorts of stuff, and you know I, I know right. that you can carve them out of wood. If sure, uh, sure. yeah, um, the the other thing related that that we've done that's very similar is um, I'm not even sure what they call it, but it's an embosser. Mm-hmm. So there's a little disc, maybe, uh, maybe two inches in diameter. Um, and again, it has a has a cast um, shape to it, but in this case, there's two parts. And you uh, have a levered, like a pliers that squeezes the paper and embosses the logo or whatever you have onto a piece of paper. And um, it turns out that you know hand pressure is sufficient to to do that. Um, but we made one from cool tools that, um, when we send a letter, we can emboss it. And oh, I love that. I'm going to steal looks, that. It looks like it's, and so you, you, you go on Amazon and you send them your design. The, the thing about it that I haven't really figured out is, um, the discs that you put into it. Um, it comes with a, a pliers or leverage thing to carry it. But I, I suspect that you could. If you could find a place that would just give you the discs, you wouldn't have to keep mm-hmm. getting um, the the pliers for it. But, but but right now they come together in most of the offerings that I've seen, and it's not that expensive. But um, uh, it's it's also very much like you, a very analog signal that says we're spending some time making this. Um, gesture of thanks and people do notice and that's really what we're going for is you know we handwrite everything we hand seal it we hand deliver yeah hand deliver it to the post office and that's you know it's just it's it's funny that that is a way of showing effort at this point but it is it's at this point rare yeah 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 um so we'll have links to the to the stamps uh the wax seal stamps which Mm -hmm. are one of the most ancient artifacts we have. They have <laughs> cuneiform versions from Babylonia. A lot of those um, things were actually wax seals. Um, yep. And um, you can still do it today in this 4,000-year-old uh, tradition. And it's fun. Yeah. Um, that's great. I-, I love that. I had not thought about a wax seal, but um, that's really pretty cool. And they come in different colors. Yeah, they they come in. You can get the uh, the sealing wax cylinders um, on Amazon. They come in right. tons of different colors, and pretty much any color you'd want. By the way, this was a, a cool tool suggestion long ago. Uh, the one that I actually adopted is a, a cordless glue gun. Yeah. So what I found is that the I I ended up going with a cheaper glue gun partially because. Um, I want lower temperatures and um, I also, you kind of mess up the glue gun. You can't really use it as a glue gun anymore (laughs) after you've put the wax through it. In fact, I would recommend having a glue gun 
for each color of wax you intend to use, unless you're cool with having the colors bleed into one another right. as they yeah. as they kind of clean themselves out. Right, right. Um, so yeah, I use the cheapest glue gun I can get my hands on. Okay, all right, there you go. Good suggestion. I love that. And they can get pretty cheap too, I'm sure. Probably it's like seven dollar glue gun or something right. like that. $7. Maybe a little bit more now. I bought yeah. it a few years yeah. ago. Okay. That's a great suggestion. And and you, by the way, you can get um, hot glue in different colors too. And one of my favorite ones is black. Hot oh, glue. I did not realize that. Black hot glue is really great for all kinds of things. I bet. Um, if you're doing anything that's light proof, if you want to make it disappear, anything dark, it's just, it's just really great. That's, I'm going to be uh, grabbing me some of that. Okay. So, uh, so David, uh, you're on a roll. How about your third favorite tool? Okay. We're going to go from probably the most ancient technology that has been suggested on here to, um, one of the more modern ones. So I mentioned we have a podcast. It's the reality escape pod. We put a lot of love into the production and edit of that show. Mm -hmm. And, um, we started using Descript to do most of the editing work. Descript is a um, AI-driven software that you upload your sound files to, it ingests them, and then it outputs a text document that looks essentially like a Google Doc. And you can edit the audio as you would edit a Google document. So if there is an um, it shows up in the transcript, you delete it, and it gets cut from the sound file. It feels like black magic. <laughs> you can copy and paste segments of, mm -hmm. uh, of things and just move them around. Like you literally edit it like it was a, a text document. It is not perfect, and there are tons of tools to go and fine-tune the cuts built right in but also it generally just keeps on getting better they are i mean i feel like i use this software a lot and i feel like every time i open it um it's prompting me to restart for a software update they are iterating rapidly and in the year or two that we we've been using it uh it just keeps getting better and better mm -hmm. yeah so uh, i i believe actually our editors use it as well um, but I actually, I have not personally used it. When you try to modify a word, does it actually change the word? So if someone said, um, you know, I'm working on a contract and you change it to contact, does it change the word as well? Um, you, it, it's sort of like, edit, you can treat it like you're editing the sound wave in any other audio editor, you might not be, you can't usually remove like a couple of letters from a word in the word processor side, mm -hmm. but you can open up the waveform view, place your cuts, move things around. Mm -hmm. You can do all the things you would want to do in like GarageBand or any other kind of uh, sound editing right, right, right. software. But, yeah. you know, if you want, to in terms of the core features when you're editing it as a text document it, it really is kind of full words right so 
let's go back then to the script software. Is it a subscription base? Is it one time? Um, what's the cost? Um, where does it run on? What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so it runs on kind of anything you'd want. Um, the, is it browser-based? Uh, they have a browser-based version of it, but I would strongly recommend that you use it, you download their their client and use it locally. It, it is a resource-intensive piece of software. But if you are just sending something for someone else to listen to real quick and give some feedback on, they can do it in the browser. They don't have to download anything. They don't have to pay for anything. They have a free tier that you can try out with three hours of transcription. It also handles video editing, although I have not edited video in it. Um, there's a $12 a month plan uh, that gets you 10 hours of transcription a month. They bump up to 24 for 30 hours a month, and they keep adding in features along the way. I think at this point, we're using the $24 a month subscription on our team. Mm -hmm. But um, And then they also have custom enterprise versions if you need to go all in on that. And then there's a discount for paying for an annual subscription. Right, right. So um, you upload the the sound or video files, but presumably if it is, it's editing just the sound on the video. I mean, I guess it's cutting the whole thing, but. Yeah, I imagine it would cut the whole thing, but I honestly yeah. couldn't tell you how the video works. Yeah. I only realized that they did that when I pulled up their pricing. Right, said, right. Oh, wow. <laughs> I could do that on this too. Sure, sure. Um, <laughs> Okay, this is, yeah, it's really great for, as you said, for podcasters, especially, but anybody who's working in audio, I would imagine that this is um, the way to go these days. And I, and I believe that's how our um, podcasts or video casts, whatever we want to call this thing that we do right here, um, or, or, or that they're using it on this as well. It's so effective that the first few times I was using it, I felt like I was making a Faustian bargain and that I was going to have to pay back for it in some ridiculous way. <laughs> it's too good to be true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's a there, there's a scam somewhere. I'm being scammed. I know. It. <laughs> yeah. Well, great. So um, the uh, Descript, right? Descript. Right. Um. We'll put that in Mac, uh, probably Windows as well. Yes, indeed. Maybe even Linux. Who knows? Okay, so um, what's your what's your fourth tool, David? Fourth tool. So since you know I'm an escape room puzzle guy, I figured I should uh, show up with something that people could bring home and uh, enjoy. And this is a game called The Light in the Mist. Wow, I haven't heard of it. So it's made by a woman named Rita Orlov, who is one of my favorite tabletop escape room and puzzle creators. She is incredibly talented, and all of the things that she makes are both beautiful and just play so well. So she she worked with um, someone named Jack Fallow, who is an artist, also a puzzle designer. Uh, Jack did all of the illustration Rita did, I believe, the puzzle design and the coloring on this stuff. But what this is, I'm just opening it now. It is a deck of tarot cards that are also a narrative 
puzzle. Wow. So the box is beautiful. It's um, this was like a card, like a box of cards. Yeah, it's a box That's... of tarot cards. I'm not really a tarot person, right? But uh, this is the first tarot deck I've ever owned. But you open it up, and it is a full tarot deck. Leave the one in there, and the cards are just beautifully illustrated with this kind of haunting imagery. Mm-hmm. Um, it's all very intricate. Right. And it's what's interesting about it is that it is it's a functional tarot deck if you if that's right. your sort of thing. If you would like it to just be a narrative, there is a booklet that kind of comes along with it and there is a story that you can read from it. But the real way to take it in is to solve the puzzles and as you solve puzzles it prompts you to read different parts of the story and you kind of do and then do the puzzles and then take in the story. And it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's an intimate, beautiful little story and the puzzles are, you know, they're, they're meaty enough that they will challenge you. They're not so hard that they'll blow your brains out. And there is also very effective hints provided via website Rita gave a talk at our convention about the art of hinting puzzles. She's <laughs> phenomenal at it. And if, especially if you're new to this kind of thing, uh-huh. use the hints liberally. If you are stuck, you're not having fun. The hints are not there to damage your ego. They are there to help you restart the fun. That's a wonderful lesson. That is, that is really great. I love that attitude. And her company is called Post Curious. She has a few different games. This is kind of the most compact and I think approachable one. Um, it's a really beautiful starting place. And uh, you can buy this one from her website. Right. So the idea of like the game, the, the full puzzle, let's call it, would last like several hours a day, an it's- afternoon, an evening. It depends on how sure. deep into it you want to dive. I think it took my wife and I maybe six hours over the course okay. of two days. Sure. Um, and we were kind of drifting in and out of it. We would go and solve a puzzle or two, and then we would go and do yeah. some stuff, and then we'd solve another one. And um, it's it's kind of because the puzzles are a little bit bite-sized, you can put a little bit of time in and then, you know, step yeah. away. Right. And in the name of the deck uh, again is what it's called the light in the mist the company is okay post curious Uh and the creators are rita orlov and jack fallow okay that's really really great um i love i love this sort of um duration i know for a while my daughter was subscribing to um these puzzle boxes that were kind of like um mystery clues i'm not really sure solving mm-hmm. solving i don't want to say they were crimes but solving mysteries was a hunt was it probably hunt a killer maybe i'm not really sh- don't remember but yeah. you know it was the same kind of thing a small group you kind of go in and out you're playing for several evenings mm-hmm. um and you you get to a certain level and then you get more clues and you had go on so um it's really a wonderful um a friendly um, way to solve the problems and puzzles. 
Um, so, uh, David, tell us about what your passion and what your latest project is, what you want to share with people. Yeah, I will. I'll tell you about the podcast. Reality Escape okay. Pod is because, you know, podcast listeners usually listen to podcasts. So that's the thing I'll tell you about. I created this with um, PG Law. She is a two-time Survivor player, an avid escape room player. And um, she and I basically made a show about interviewing makers of incredible immersive experiences. It really is at its core a maker show. And we, we've had guests from the tabletop gaming world, a lot of escape room guests, um, creators of haunts, creators of LARPs, you name it. We've had Alan Lee who made exploding kittens on. We've had Neil Patrick Harris, the actor who also made box one, which is an incredible tabletop escape escape game style experience mm -hmm. it's he really made something brilliant there um and this season we're in the middle of it right now it's the first season where all of our guests are escape room creators and each one is from a different country hmm. and escape rooms are heavily regional there are major differences between the games in greece versus the netherlands versus different regions in the United States. Hmm. It's sort of like if you think back to before the internet kind of homo started homogenizing music scenes, um, you know, back when there would be like a Seattle sound and there would be, you know, it, you know, it, that was, that's sort of how escape rooms feel these days. There is a, there are regional flavors and vibes and communities of creators who are vibing off of each other and, you know, frequently kind of having a friendly competition with one another or one-upping each other. And so you end up with pockets around the world where escape rooms are especially incredible. And we like well, to explore that. I have that. to pause you right there and say, where are some of those places? Um, yeah, I got gotcha. you. So um, in in North America, the I would say probably the two, three of the top markets are Montreal, Canada, um, New Orleans and Baton Rouge I'll clump them together. And then Los Angeles has a really vibrant community. There's amazing stuff in San Francisco. Um, the Ome Escape Sunnyvale and Palace Games are especially incredible in that area. Also Trivium in Oakland. Um, in Seattle, there's a company called Locurio. In Champaign-Urbana, Illinois, there's a company called CU Adventures. They're, they're, they are scattered everywhere and well, then if you look um in europe um barcelona spain uh the netherlands in general and athens greece some really incredible stuff wow what about in asia in asia so um i have not been to china but i have been told that beijing shanghai um in particular have some incredible hmm. kind of over-the-top experiences mm -hmm. um yeah that's uh okay but, but it, it really is a global it's a global thing sure 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 um so i interrupted you did you have more to say on um your your podcast uh, 
No, I mean it's it is it's a labor of love. We we have we have really brilliant and wonderful guests. They make ridiculous things and they care a lot about what they make and it's just a lot of fun for us to explore what it is they do, right. what backgrounds they brought and what their ambitions are cuz they're all really different from one another. So what's the the kind of culture in the maker world? Generally there was a willingness to share tips and techniques and stuff. Magic is a little different because there is this sort of guildiness about not sharing how things are done outside or in selling and selling tricks. What's the culture of the escape room world? Is it like people talking about how the how they made their puzzles and why, uh, or is it a little bit more cagey? So the really skilled makers are tend to be very open. What I have found is that the more an escape room creator sort of gets super secretive about everything, uh, the more generic their stuff tends to be. Mm-hmm. It's um, the top tier creators, the people who are really pushing boundaries are all readily sharing information. They learn from one another. There's an escape room discord where there's a tech channel and there are some brilliant technologists. And, you know, they're these these people are really from the maker community in 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 this instance. It's a lot of Arduino and Raspberry Pi. Some people get into PLCs. Um, but like I I kind of came up through the maker space mentality. And there's a lot of that in right, right, the right. escape room world. Right. It, it occurred to me that 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 maybe not everybody listening knows what an escape room actually is. And so um, do you have a handy definition? I can make a try at it, but how would you describe it? Yeah. So, I mean, escape rooms are immersive, puzzle-driven adventures. They You're in a defined space for a defined period of time. It's usually one hour, although some places go much longer. Some places go a little shorter. And it's a collaborative adventure that you have with your friends. The early days, they were heavily puzzle focused. The more that they have iterated and evolved, they've become more about the adventure, more about the story. And some of these games will make you feel emotions you were not mentally prepared to feel in a puzzle game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They're almost like an immersive experience rather than just a puzzle they're somewhere between a video game and a real life experience mm-hmm. and different people push on different boundaries. So wherever you go, the skills and the backgrounds of the creators are sort of imprinted right, right. on, on their creation. Right. And I would say the better ones, you know, at, at the simplest would have a theme, but these days they will even have a narrative they can have a narrative. They can have, they they can have some incredible production value. Right, right, yeah. Um, and as you said, they the the idea is that there's a usually a, a limit or an ideal a, a goal of how long you want to spend. And and the other thing about them, again, I'm not an expert, but my experience you're of doing them well so far is is that they're generally a, a, a cooperative. That you do it not alone. Yeah. You do it with. They're- friends or a group of people, a small group. And so a lot of the enjoyment as well as a lot of the um, success is, is due to that interpersonal 
communication, cooperation, collaboration, et cetera. That was what appealed to me in the first place. I was, you know, growing up really into video games and I was really into LAN parties and I loved the social aspect of playing video games with my friends. Right. And then as co-op started and, and competitive play started to become an online thing and video game companies were frequently not even building in local options. Yeah, yeah. I kind of lost a lot of my interest in the medium. And then I found escape rooms and I was like, this recaptured that love that I had for right. playing games with my friends. And that was what pulled me in, in the first place. Right. Right. Um, my nephew runs an escape room in Oregon and I, I asked him um, whether he could tell how successful a group would be before um, they started and he said yes and i said what's the what's the clue what's the tell he says from the degree of cooperation and a degree of communication with them before they start it's as he says if it's a group that had not met before they had a higher or they were more unlikely to 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 complete it but if it was a group that really knew each other and had worked together like a basketball team or high school sports team or something like that, they were much more likely to, to succeed. I think he's 100% correct. Escape rooms, people who haven't done them or haven't done many of them think that they're an intellectual challenge. And there is an element of that. But if escape rooms are testing anything, they're actually testing your ability to work with people. <laughs> and I would rather play with someone who isn't that bright, but is really collaborative and kind and communicative than the smartest person in the room who right. is just kind of steamrolling everybody. And right, right. it that kind of person tends to break down sure, sure. the cohesiveness, which is true of any team. We've sometimes tried to assemble some people to try and have a good time. And we like to have a person who's not particularly good at puzzles, but who's very good at keeping a group going and uh, collaborating and communicating. And that's their role is yep. their, their, their role is to um, just keep that communication lines going, particularly if you have these rooms that are more, um, what's the word, or sprawling or bigger than just yep. a little closet. Um, so, um that's that's yeah that's really great it also occurred to me that just now i had not thought of it but there's um the whole um vr room stuff um might transition or might blend into escape rooms because they are some like the void where they're half analog and half vr they have you know, you have your goggles on and you see this alternative world but they have walls that you can feel and you have things that you pick up that you can hold in your hand, even though they are transformed in your mind, there's still this experiential analog thing. And, and I just now imagine that those two might actually blur the line and converge at some point. A few, there are a few video game publishers that have made VR escape rooms that are B2B, they're sold to escape room companies and uh -huh. um, and and VR arcades. So um, Ubisoft has three different games 
two of them set in the Assassin's Creed world, mm-hmm. one in Prince of Persia, mm-hmm. and you can play those frequently at, at 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 select escape room facilities. There's a company called Exit VR out of Berlin, Germany. They made a couple of games, uh, the Huxley series. Mm-hmm. They're quite good. Um, speaking to escape room owners, it has turned out that the audience for escape rooms and the audience for VR escape rooms, there is some overlap, but not as much as you would expect. It tends to be people looking for different things and they tend to have to be marketed differently to different people. Right. I love all of it, but I also understand the difference. Right. Well, and that if we come to the stage eventually where we have these smart classes, that might be one way in which there's more, of an overlap um, for sure and some folks have used ar in escape rooms in yeah, some interesting right. ways and escape room creators will take anything and turn it into a puzzle right I, I still remember one of the hacks for the vr escape rooms which is called uh there's a term for it um i forget what it is it's called uh I don't know, something systematic misdirection but what it is 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 that um when you turn your head um it's what you see is actually not as far as you've turned your head and Mm -hmm. so they can make it appear appear as if you are walking in a straight line but you're really just walking in a circle oh that's really interesting okay so you're so you think you're in a straight line but actually they're they're making you go in a circle so you you think you're walking miles and miles whatever it is but you're just within the room and they can do other kinds of things. Like say you have, um, uh, there's a wooden handle in front of you. They can make it in VR. There could be five different handles mm. and you're reaching for this handle on the left, but it's actually the same handle that you're picking up each time. I, and I've so, seen, and so I've, I've seen some stuff like that. That is yeah. really incredible to experience right, right. that. Yeah. So they're misdirecting with really a few degrees of difference and you can't really tell that mm-hmm. and you have this idea you have this and they do the same thing with stairs and stuff where basically there's these minimal amounts of things or furniture in the room that they can repurpose in multiple ways by tricking what you see and shifting it a little bit. And that's incredibly ingenious, I thought. Yeah, I there was an experience called Unchained, which was a uh, Dickens um, Scrooge sort of VR experience. It's more immersive theater than escape room, um, where you were kind of cast in the role of of Scrooge and having to kind of converse with a performer who was rendered in VR. Um, but the experience started without the visor, and you ended up in this room, and you get kind of what feels to you they they fit you with the with the headset right. and as it's on they change the space around you and what you thought was around you and you get kind of pulled into this world that is a blend of virtual and physical right. and right. it was a beautiful experience right so let's end with some very practical advice and suggestion i know that you review mm-hmm. or kind of at least try to to overview um escape room so for a person who maybe has never done any, what would be a first step for them? Um, presumably you try to find something locally, but if you were willing to travel or were traveling and wanted to try out rooms, what should you know? How would you evaluate whether it's worthwhile and you got a good one 
is it on Yelp at this point? Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, so what, what's, what, what's your recommendations? My recommendation to you, escape rooms are not all created equal. And just like anything, there is the full gamut of quality from things that will blow your mind to things that will leave you wondering why you just spent your money on this. So what I would recommend you do is check out, I mean, you can check out our website, roomescapeartist.com. We've been reviewing for the last eight years. I've reviewed more than a thousand games myself. Um, wait, wait, wait. So you personally have gone to a thousand escape rooms? Little over. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. Keep going. Yeah. Um, we have, um, we have, we also have a number of reviewers who have, who have covered. If you are looking for something specific, feel free to shoot us a message. We love helping people find the right games for them. There are also other resources. There's an app called Morty, which is, um, sort of, like a a Yelp that uh, for for finding immersive experiences, I will say up front, I am an advisor to Morty, mm-hmm. um, but I'm a big fan of what the company is trying to do. Um, there is a project called uh, the Top Escape Room Project Enthusiast Choice Awards Awards or Terpica. I did not name it, but I do advise the project. This is a kind of um, large scale um, attempt to get. Uh, really experienced escape room players from all over the world to nominate and then rank games. And it's a, it's got an incredibly complex algorithm. It's made by a guy named Rich Bragg. He's an ex Googler. Um, he is, he's done, he does, he works miracles with math. Um, Terpica is a really great place for finding incredible escape rooms. So is there a rating system? There's a website every year we publish a the top couple hundred from that. Anything that is in the top in the top two hundred or so is gonna be exceptional. May not be the best for beginners, but it will be exceptional. Um there is an escape room community. It's pretty vibrant. There's a face there's a Facebook community and regional Facebook groups. The people mm-hmm. in those groups will be more than happy to help you find stuff in your area. There is an escape room Discord. It's it is a big community of people. And uh in general, they just really like making sure people play good games. Yeah. So a first start would be to go to your website and see if you've reviewed that one by chance. Yep. And then if not, maybe go into this other app to see yep. Morty or Terpica that ha- that has a website, the various Facebook groups, Discord, whatever it is, mm-hmm. if you need help, there is there are people to help you find it. In terms of going to an escape room, you know, dress sensibly, bring a group of people that you feel comfortable with, that you enjoy being around, mm-hmm. you know, people that 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 play well together. That's, that's my advice is, you know, if somebody is on the fence about going, don't drag them, find right. someone else to go with. Um, and, um, you know, once you're there, just enjoy yourself. Remember that your game master is not there to trick you. They are there to help you. Mm-hmm. Hints are not your enemy. Mm-hmm. Take them when the energy in your room starts to dip right, right. more than a thousand I still take them. When I start feeling the energy in the room start to dip, what I will say to my teammates is, hey, 
feels like we're losing some steam. If we don't make any progress in the next two minutes, I think we'll call for a hint. Right. And in doing that, it gives everyone a chance to make their last ditch efforts. For people whose egos might be feeling bruised at the idea of taking a hint, it gives them a chance to have some acceptance about this. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just remember that this is ultimately all about having right. fun. Right, right, right. Um, I know there are a couple of places where they actually tell you how to um, get better at the puzzle part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, yeah, so that's, that, that's really great, sensible advice. I really appreciate that. Um, I do recommend people try out some escape rooms in their area. If, if there are any, it's, it's fun. My wife actually takes her, um, her corporate lab on offsites. They've done offsites uh, as a group to to these uh just team building you know that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and um that's another way of doing it is it it is indeed that take a group group of your um peers um so uh well this has really been fabulous david thank you for this we took a little longer but i love hearing about escape rooms i couldn't uh, thank you for having me i love talking about escape rooms yeah, okay, it's really great. We'll have put some links there at the in the show notes. And uh, again, thank you for your time and for your great tools. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We're glad that you enjoyed this issue of the Cool Tools Show and Tell. Just want to remind you that we have some other coolish material on our YouTube channel here. Please subscribe, comment, like. In addition, um, this Cool Tools Show and Tell is also available in an Audible podcast form. You can subscribe to it wherever you subscribe to other podcasts if you just wanted to listen. And if you're listening, know that there is a visual version of this on our YouTube channel where we're actually showing the tools and um, there's a little bit more of a visual component there. In addition, the same folks that put us, uh, the Cool Tools website out, We also put out a free newsletter every week. It's very, very short. It's one page or less. We recommend six very brief items um, that are very succinct, easy to read. You can deal with it in a couple minutes. And every week we bring to you the six cool things that we have uncovered and want to share. And it's called Recommendo with one M, recommendo.com. You'll be able to find it there. It's free. Join 50,000 plus other subscribers every Sunday morning. You'll get it in your email box. And it's actually one of the most popular things that we produce. But we do produce other newsletters as well. One of them is called What's in Your Bag. We have one that goes out to um, tools and tips for your workshop. So you can get those at our website. um, And they are also free. And finally, um, I want to mention the fact that... um, We do have a Patreon, and um, this uh, podcast and this vidcast are supported by Patreon supporters. The minimum is a dollar a month, and for that, you get um, an email to ask us anything. We'll respond and um, answer your question if we're able to. There are other higher levels. You can all see those at our Patreon page, and all those links are below right here. So thank you again for being a fan, and... um, We'll keep producing stuff if you enjoy it. Thanks. Thank you to this week's patrons, which include Sari Willis, Jamie Ehrman, Brian Brooks, David Ragger, Allison 
Pescosolio, John Hobson, Alan Lawson, Bill Patrick, Chip Riggs, and John Paul Bosoli. Thank you all.